I don't know if any of you have seen the uh, show Funniest Home Videos. It was very popular back a few years ago, and I still think it's on quite a bit. One of the uh, shows, one of the episodes, had a uh, shot of a wedding video, and it was being taken from the back of the room looking up the aisle. That was the, the, the view that you had of the wedding. And because of the angle, you could see quite a few people that were there as, uh, watching, um, people in the congregation. Well, suddenly during, one, during the vows, uh, this man jumps up in his pew, and he's yelling, Yes, yes, yes! And he's pumping his fist. And um, then he just kind of freezes, he looks around, and he slides back down in his seat, and you see him reach up and pull headphones out of his ears. And very sheepishly, of course. And it turned out he had been listening to the Auburn-Alabama game, and one of his... His team, his, his team, I guess, scored, and um, so if you're a Bama fan, it probably was Bama, but if you're, Alabama, if you're Auburn, it probably was Auburn. I don't know. You know, we have, we've all had times where physically we're in one spot, but mentally we're somewhere else. Uh, most of the time, it's not a really bad problem. We call it daydreaming, or maybe we're just absent or whatever, except when it comes to being a father or a husband. Um, we need to be tuned in. Most of us men, if we're honest, we remember times we have checked out and wished we could back up and redo. Kind of wish, oh, if I'd have just kind of come out of that fog 15 minutes earlier, or if I'd just paid attention. Uh, some, some of you this morning, you may feel your way that way right now. Um, you may feel like you're the only one struggling with this. You're the only one that daydreams or isn't present all the time. We might feel that we are uh, not doing such a great job of being a, a father or a husband. Chris Young, the country singer, several years ago had a line in one of his songs that said, I want to be the kind of man the mirror likes to see. Isn't that a great line? I want to be the kind of man the mirror likes to see. Because aren't we our worst critic? We look at ourselves in the mirror and we're just like, ugh. And we tend to look deep into our, our soul whenever we do that, and we wonder how anybody could love us, how anybody could forgive us. Many times we struggle with those things, knowing that we haven't always been present. And what this says to me, what this line says to me, is that I want to see in the mirror someone I'm proud to be, a person of integrity and character, a man who knows how to love, that others look up to and, and call out as an example of, of a friend, a father, a leader, a husband, a man. So now that's really what I want to see. Brad Paisley sings a song called He Didn't Have to Be, and I would like for you to listen to it if we... We, don't, we haven't tried this yet, so we're going to give it a shot. So uh, watch this video. Love country music. Whew. I'm glad I can even talk right now. <clears throat> I hope that I'm at least half the man that he didn't have to be. Isn't that a powerful message? Powerful message about what it takes to be um, a good father. Being a good dad takes intentionality. And uh, it's one of the reasons I wanted you to see this, this song, this music video. It, it means paying attention. It means being present. Uh, if you have uh, a, a dad or a stepdad uh, that's like that for you, or have had one, um, you need to give thanks to God for that. For someone who is present with you, and, and um, even if they're not. Uh, my dad passed away in 2007, and there's a lot of ways he's still present with me. Um, 
I hear his advice all the time. I hear his legacy being lived out in my life. I hear his voice in some of the things I say to my kids um, that I swore I never would say to my kids, but I say them because that's what we do. In John chapter 4, we find a dad who was also very intentional about his work. Look there with me, John chapter 4, beginning verse 45 through verse 54. It says, when he arrived, that's Jesus, when Jesus arrived in Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. They had seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they, had all, they also had been there. Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Come, sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus replied, your son will live. And the man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servant met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, Yesterday, at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. Then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. So he and his whole household believed. This was the second sign Jesus performed after coming from Judea to Galilee. Now let me tell you a little bit about this royal official. He is likely a Roman centurion with some clout. He has some leadership. He has some people he oversees. He is a man of influence. This man cares so much for his son that he tracks uh, Jesus down. He travels to where he is to ask him to come and heal his son. Now this official is not Jewish. He is Roman. He has heard of Jesus' healing ministry. But it, was, but it was enough to get him out of his comfort zone, to get him to leave his heritage, and to, pre to get into the presence of Jesus. The text suggests that the man wanted a miracle, but may have been unsure if Jesus could do it or not. So Jesus' response of, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will never believe. That's why he responded this way to him. But Jesus' love, love for the man comes in these next words that says, Go, your son will live. This Roman royal official believed him, and he left. And as a result of this, his wonder, he and his whole house believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They were converted in their faith. This official led his family to faith by stepping out himself. He went against his heritage, even his position, and followed Jesus. Talk about stepping out and being a leader in your household. World War II produced many, many heroes, one of which was a guy named Butch O'Hare. He was a fighter pilot assigned to an aircraft carrier in the South Pacific. And one day while on a mission, he looked at his fuel gauge and realized that someone had forgotten to top off the fuel tank. 
And so unable to complete the mission, he turned around and headed back toward the aircraft carrier. And as he was headed back, he saw a squadron of Japanese Zeros uh, heading straight for the American fleet. All the American fighters were out on a sortie, leaving the fleet virtually defenseless. So he dove into the formation of Japanese planes in a desperate move to divert them away from the fleet. And after a frightening air battle, the Japanese airplanes broke off their assault on the fleet. And Butch O'Hare's tattered fighter limped back to the carrier. He was recognized as a hero and given one of the nation's highest military honors. And also, O'Hare International Airport in Chicago is named after him. Well, some years earlier, there was a man in Chicago by the name of Easy Eddie in those days. Al Capone virtually owned the city, and Capone's mob was involved in bootlegging booze, murder, and prostitution. Easy Eddie was Al Capone's lawyer, and he kept Big Al out of jail. And in return, Easy Eddie earned big money and lived like a king on an estate that was so large it filled an entire city block. But Easy Eddie had one soft spot, a son whom he loved dearly. Eddie saw that his son had the best of everything, clothes, cars, good education. And despite Eddie's involvement with the mob, he tried to teach his son right from wrong. Eddie wanted his son to be better, a better man than he was. But there were two things that Eddie could not give his son, a good name and a good example. So deciding that giving his son these two things was more important than lavishing him with riches, Eddie had, had to rectify the wrong he had done. So he went to the authorities and told them the truth about Al Capone. Easy Eddie eventually testified in court against Al Capone and the mob. He knew the cost would be great, but he wanted to be an example to his son and leave him with a good name. Within a year of testifying against the mob, Easy Eddie's life ended in a blaze of gunfire on a lonely Chicago street. He had given his son the greatest gift he had to offer at the greatest price he would ever pay. So what do these two stories have to do with one another? Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. Doing the right thing is not always easy or clear. It may mean leaving the comfort of your upbringing, your training, even your experience. It is your duty, your responsibility to get to the Master, to get to Jesus, to know the truth. If I'm going to become the man I want to be, the man that is proud to see the man in the mirror, the man or woman God wants me to be, I've got to come to Jesus and allow Him to shape me. It's easy to get distracted. I wonder, have you ever left church or maybe a small group or Bible study and you thought, wow, that was a powerful message. What an incredible time of worship. God was so close today. I'm going to be different because of it. And we feel like we're going to be transformed. And within 10 minutes, you're fussing at the kids. You're mad at traffic. You're upset with the wait staff at the restaurant. You've quickly forgotten how close you felt to God in worship. This true? I know it's true, at least for me, because I've done this very thing. That's really bad for a preacher. Sheesh. 
See, what God wants is for us to be obedient and to give our best effort. Our actions and our efforts, as imperfect as they may be, reflect the condition of your heart. It's in this effort that we set an example for our children. In his book, Lessons from a Father to a Son, Senator John Ashcroft writes this. He says, until 1997, Michael Jordan was indisputably the leading player in the NBA for over a decade, but was never the highest paid player. When asked why he did not do what so many other players do, which is hold out on their contracts in order to get more money, Michael said, I have always honored my word. I went for security. I had a six-year contract, and I always honored them. People said I was underpaid, but when I signed on the dotted line, I gave my word. Three years later, after several highly visible players reneged on their contracts, a reporter asked Michael once again about being underpaid. And he explained that if his kids saw their dad breaking a promise, how could he continue training them to keep their word? By not asking for a contract rene renegotiations, Michael Jordan spoke volumes to his children. He told them, you stand by your word even when that might go against you. His silence became a roar. You see, children are always listening, always watching, always learning, imitating. Conversations overheard by our children demonstrate the content of our hearts, be it at the dinner table, on the telephone, uh, during a prayer. We demonstrate the condition of our heart and who we're following. Pastor and author Stu Weber writes this. He says, My youngest son is the third of three boys. The first two are high-powered. The third is not, a, not any less high-powered, but he's the third out of three. By the time you've had a brother who's all-conference this and another brother who's all-conference that, there's not much left for you to do. As a father, I worried about our caboose. He is the most sensitive of the three. To encourage him, I spent a lot of time with him outdoors. Camping, hunting, fishing. Anybody who has spent time in the outdoors knows that a pocket knife is essential gear. The man with the best blade gets the job done. So whenever you're setting up camp, you're always looking for the knife. My son Ryan had a pocket knife that became his identity. His older brother always had to ask him to use the knife as we were setting up camp. That became his status in our tribe. He was the man with the blade. My birthday came around one year, and my family was planning a party for me. Earlier in the afternoon, my youngest son walked into my office at home where I was studying. At first, I didn't hear him. I felt him. I could sense his presence, and I turned around. He had chosen this moment because he wanted to give me a birthday present, but not at the birthday party. He wanted it to be just me and him. He handed me a present, and I opened it. It was his knife. If I'm going to be the man I want to be, if I'm going to be the man God wants me to be, I must be willing to give away my identity to the Father who loves me, who has the best in mind for me, who believes in me.
I must be willing to give away my status, my reputation, my self-image, to become what God wants me to be. I wonder, are you grateful for the father figures in your life today, the ones that have shaped you, that have modeled for you? Are you thankful for the ones, the men that made your spiritual life a priority in their life to help you grow and to shape you? Are you willing to surrender your pocket knife, your identity, to become what God desires you to be? Let's pray together. Holy Father, we are grateful for your love and kindness, the way you shape us and mold us every step of the way, the way you're there for us when we go off on our own and think we've got it all figured out, and when we come back with our tail between our legs to receive us and forgive us again. Father, we pray that we will embrace you as tightly as you embrace us. Father, be glorified in us and in the men who shaped us and the lives that have transformed us. Come, Holy Spirit, do it again in us and through us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.